Imitate with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. In our last episode, we focused on learning from human-robot interaction. And we're continuing this topic today in a way as we explore the world of imitation learning. Imitation learning is learning from demonstration, when a robot learns how to do a task by analyzing a demonstration of that task. One of the problems with demonstrations is that if the context in which a task is performed differs from that in the demonstration, the robot might not have learned or be able to make corrective behaviours to perform the task in this new context or situation. PhD student Mike Lasky from UC Berkeley has developed an off-policy algorithm called DART, which interjects noise into a supervisor's demonstration to improve robustness. This allows for corrective examples to be included in demonstrations. Our interviewer Audro spoke to Mike about his work on imitation learning with Dart, how his approach has been used for folding bedsheets, and on the importance of robotics leveraging theory in other disciplines. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how's it going? Would you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Michael Lasky. I'm a fifth-year PhD student at UC Berkeley. Uh, I work with Ken Goldberg on robotic learning and uh, imitation learning tasks. What's the motivation behind your research? So the motivation is we want to be able to teach robotics to perform sequential tasks. Uh, a lot of times we have supervisors that know how to do the tasks, such as humans or potentially algorithmic supervisors that when given access to information in the world, they can perform it and might not be readily available. Uh, for example, like in a simulator, you can teach a robot with an algorithmic supervisor and pull it out in the real world. Uh, the problem with these tasks, though, is they're sequential. So when robots make a mistake, we want them to be able to recover from that. Uh, when we use learning, it's likely that they will make some errors. And so really at a high level, a lot of my research thinks about, well, how do we teach these robots to be able to recover when they make a mistake? Gotcha. Now, so we're going to talk about your, how, your approach called DART. Uh, would you give me a high-level description? Yeah, so maybe uh, maybe better if we, we start off like how I came to Dart and like more of a story. So uh, it started off with me trying to build this robot system, um, and about two years ago, and teaching a robot how to push optics around and reach a goal position. Now, at the time, the best method to teach robots how to recover was something known as Dagger, uh, and what Dagger you would do was apply sort of retroactive feedback as the robot um, wrote out its policy and made mistakes. So you would let the robot make mistakes and then you would say at each state the robot visit what it should have done. Would you give me an example? Um, yeah, so for example in this task if the robot would basically just miss the goal object completely, you would say oh robot you should back up and go back to original position and try again. So you didn't tell the robot to back up. Are we talking about an arm robot or... Yeah, it was a planar arm robot. Uh, it was a Zymark. So if we wanted to move the end of the arm to some specific location? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you would have to basically move the arm 
and push objects out of the way to reach some of the objects. So we put a bunch of objects in front of some target object, and the robot would have to basically search through those objects by okay. physically pushing them around. And then, so what would this look like with Dagger? So what this would look like with Dagger is you would let the robot fail. And what, what does Dagger stand for, just quickly? Dataset irrigation. So, uh, and it's because you're training on the aggregate data set. Be the idea. Okay. Yeah. So you would let the robot fail, and then you would go, and at each state you would have some sort of GUI. Like a, what we did is we made a virtual pink robot that you would then look at a video and say, this is what the pink robot should have done when you actually are looking at the real robot. So you kind of manually drag it and annotate each state. Gotcha. So at each frame uh, taken by a camera and simulation, yeah. you would basically grab, take the picture of the arm and then say it should have done this. It should have done this. that as labels. Yeah, and we, we even put that on Amazon Mechanical Turk. So we had Turkos try to label uh, this robot. Is the data, is the human labeling, is it only a direction? Or are you giving sort of a how far they should move to push? Or Yeah, so it's actually, it's a direction and magnitude. So it's really a change in position at that angle. So it's saying, if you're here, you should change by this much to a new position. Okay, and so what are some of the problems with this? Yeah, so what we found is um, when we did a study on Amazon Mechanical Turk, it was really hard for people to actually provide this sort of feedback. Um, some people were really good at it, but there was a high variance. So you would have, if you had someone come to the lab and try to train the robot, you would have very mixed results. Um, and I think the limitation was there was really no grounding between like how good this sort of retroactive feedback was versus the actual task because we can't execute these actions to find out. So it started making us question, well, are there alternatives to Dagger and how else can we mitigate this sort of problem of showing the robot how to recover? And also um, thinking more about the question, well, if the robot's trying to learn the supervisor, does it make sense to Always and supervisor is the labels. The supervisor yeah. is like the human, or like yeah, the yeah. labeler. Yeah, exactly. So the correct answers, basically. Yeah, exactly. and what it should have done from the humans. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it got us thinking. Okay, well, do we really see a benefit from these methods? And what we did then is a human study where we compare dagger to behavior cloning. Um, behavior cloning is just when you teleoperate the robot and you don't provide any sort of recovery policies. Um, and what we saw in this human study was actually Dagger was worse than behavior cloning, which was pretty surprising because uh, behavior cloning is a pretty poor algorithm in the literature. A lot of people don't uh, necessarily like, use it well. So just um, to be explicit, behavior cloning is when you have someone demonstrate something. Yeah, so you it just... Tries to copy it? it just tries to copy it, yeah. So vanilla imitation learning, or what we call... Um, off policy learning in, in the paper, yeah. Gotcha. So, if I am uh, just a few questions about behavioral cloning. Yeah. If I am looking at ex demonstrations that I'm going to say are correct, what happens if they are done at different speeds? So, if I one demonstration does the same task quickly and one does it slow, how do you learn from both? Is there a temporal? Is there a time component? There could be a time component. It but not necessarily. Not necessarily. It depends on how you structure your task. Um, what you want to make sure is that you have Markovian state. 
So that's a lot of what imitation, I assume. So Markovian state, that means that you don't care about the... You can summarize the past by looking at the present state. Exactly. So sometimes people would use, like, RNNs to achieve this Markovian state. However, if you structure it properly, you can get it without um, without that. Oh, we found in a lot of tasks that an image of the current time step was sufficient. However, I think there's definitely tasks where you need more memory and something like an RNA would be more useful. Hmm. Um, so you're pushing, your task initially has been pushing a block and you don't care so much about the velocity that you send the block off. No, because a lot of these domains are pretty quasi-static in, in nature, so um, you could you could push it and then like stop and the blocks would stop. Uh, I think in a lot of manipulation you know, um, some of the works of, like Matt Mason kind of show that like a lot of these tasks are quasi-static but like tabletop manipulation. Okay. And then um, how, how does Dart? So let's move into Dart. Would you tell me a bit about it yeah, and so, how it addresses? So, yeah. So what we wanted to do was find, really we started coming to this conclusion, like while Dagger corrected for like show the how to recover, it had a lot of limitations. And those limitations were working with the human supervisor, they were computational because it would require retraining the policy at every iteration. And also it was um, it was unsafe. Like you don't, uh, we have a home robot in the lab. You don't want it to just try things out when it's very like suboptimal. Uh, that can be, it can get kind of messy. Like we've had to like, you know, just crash into things and that's not a great idea. So what Dot said was, well, instead of considering the current robot policy, what if we could simulate the error final robot policy. So imagine that you had all your data collected, trained a model, and this was like the policy that came out of it. So this would be the, the final robot policy. Now that robot's policy should have pretty low error with respect to your supervisor. Um, one would hope. So it should be able to match your demonstrations pretty well. If we just simulate that error uh, via the injection of artificial voice into the supervisor's teleoperation system, then we can provide these sort of corrective examples for the robots, um, for the robots' policy when it makes errors. So, really, the intuition of Dodd is saying instead of thinking about the current robot policy, which Dagger always proposed, we're going to try and think about the final robot policy and simulate the error for that. Okay, and so tell me a bit about this noise. Yeah, so the idea would be like if a person wants to teleoperate the robot, we're going to take the action that they want to apply this state, and then that's going to be the mean of some noise distribution. Uh, for example, if it's Gaussian noise, that'd be the mean, and that'd be some covariance matrix. Now, what we would do then is sample... The covariance matrix will describe the noise. Exactly. Yeah. And then what we do is we sample from this Gaussian term and then apply that control. So now the supervisor is forced to make errors. Uh, basically, we force the supervisor to make errors and then provide feedback. And what you see is actually, uh, in some of the tasks we've done, it kind of just looks like the supervisor now is teleoperating a bit of a shaky robot. And it messes up a bit, and they have to provide small feedbacks, and that learns a more robust policy. Okay. So, this is different. What does DART stand for? Again? Uh, disturbances Augmenting Robot Trajectories. And then, so, with this noise, one of the interesting things is that you reduce it over time. Is that correct? Yeah, so the the cool thing about the noise is it's really trying to just simulate the final robot policy. So actually, when we do this optimization, it's very low the entire time. 
Um, because what we're, what we're trying to say is you're simulating the error that's going to happen after you train your model, which should be small. So the noise doesn't have to be that large. Um, and what we see is that when we collect data, we can still have the supervisor have really high performance during data collection. So that's kind of the nice thing about it is we don't, the supervisor is going to suffer a bit, but we can actually still perform the task, you know, collect data at a reasonable performance level and then um, and not interfere with that process too much. And so what other types, so you've you started with a pushing task. Yeah. What other kinds of tasks did you run this approach on? Yeah, so we did, um, we extended the pushing task. So originally it was basically a top-down view. And what we wanted to do was actually, uh, we got a home robot from Toyota, uh, an HSR. So we, we looked at using its iron hand camera to extend the pushing task to reach into a cupboard and then retrieve a, a goal object. So you could say, I want the mustard from this cupboard, and I have to push around the obstacle objects to retrieve mustard. Uh, so we did that in the, the dart paper. And then recently we actually explored bend making. So the idea here is basically you want the robot to make a bed. So um, uh, how we use Dart is the robot would learn a sequential grasping policy to grab the sheets and then pull them. And we would, uh, it would make errors in this policy. And if it pulls the sheet in the wrong way, it wouldn't know how to recover from that. So we injected noise into the teleoperation system where a person would say like, I want you to grasp here. That noise would have some sort of like um, distribution, or that grasp label have some distribution around it with a sample from it and grab at different points. And, oh, no, it's not, yeah. How general would this um, be for, say, the bed-making task? If I had, was training on a twin-size bed yeah. and then went and did a full-size bed or a queen-size bed, would it throw off the policy completely, or...? We, we were surprised... Um, it was interesting. So we actually, we didn't change the size of the bed, uh, but it was pretty robust with only a small amount of data. And the cool thing that we, we did try was we started putting stuffed animals and objects on the bed. So for example, a lot of times in homes, your bed's pretty dirty. So uh, I was I would throw stuffed animals on it, other environments, and would still be able to make the bed at a very robust, uh, high performance level. And it would make mistakes, but because noise was injected, it would learn how to recover. So it would take a little bit longer, but it could still make the bed at the end of the day. So you go from like a three-minute bed make to a five-minute bed make. <laughs> what do you mean if you added the stuffed animals or something like this? Yeah, so uh, if you added the stuffed animals, the robot might mess up a bit. Uh, and then it takes a bit longer. Because it just retries, yeah. And But if you apply the approach where you didn't inject noise, it would mess up and not know how to recover. and then yes, never. So this would... makes it a bit more robust. Exactly, yeah, in that sense. What other tasks do you see this kind of approach being useful for? Yeah, so we're actually right now exploring uh, a few different domains. One of them is building a driving simulator. And some uh, another lab has actually reproduced Dart in their driving simulator to show how it can work for self-driving cars. So that was something that uh, I just found out about. And what we're looking for is like in multi-agent search, um, it's really hard to simulate like tons of agents uh, and like obviously the multi-agent search is like really complex and scales pretty poorly. So what we're learning is actually the policies for each person um, basically using imitation learning. So instead of trying to 
do tree search on each agent, you would just say, here's the policy of an agent. I'm so just going to use that. Tree search is when you run a full rollout, right? Yeah. From a particular state. Exactly. And see what happens. Yeah. So we're, we're applying a uh, dot in that domain to actually basically scale up the complexity of our simulator and the novel interactions between different cars at an intersection. Um, we're also, we just recently started collaboration with graphics people. Um, in graphics, the problem is uh, it's really competition expensive to render these sort of um, basically uh, object or uh, character models. And what they're trying to use is function approximation on the joint angles of these um, character models. So you can then render it on something like an iPad and have an artist sort of play with it in a very fast, iterative way. Um, however, when you're predicting multiple joint angles in like a skeleton, uh, error can compound. So they want to use something like Dot not to have this robust uh, modeling to actually preserve. So this is not um, in simulation anymore entirely. You're saying for animatronics, for like animating a character in like a Disney environment, or oh no, it's doing? actually for um, like uh, the 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 project that we started working on is the the panda and Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, so basically, uh, right now in animation, it takes like 10 seconds. A um, you, For a week of editing, you get 10 seconds of content. And a lot of that is because it's very slow to actually render this content. So uh, some recent work has been applying function approximation. So it's like we just learn the dynamics, and now it's this cheap neural networks we have to call instead of having to render the whole scene again. And that's really cool because now we can actually render things on your iPad versus on like a big compute cluster. Now, talking a bit about training these. So you add the noise, yeah. uh, you get a demonstration. The demonstration features the noise, so it's a shaky robot while I'm trying to control it to do some tasks. Yeah. How many trials, how many times do I have to make the bed or push the cube before um, it does so reliably? Yeah, that's a good question. So. For the bed making, uh, it took about... The bed making, I would say, is the first time that we got something that's very robust. A lot of times we're doing human studies, so if we get 80% performance, we're like, okay, that's good. Uh, the bed making, though, it took only 50 labeled images to actually get uh, a robust policy. 50 labeled images where an image is a trial? Uh, yeah, okay, so 50 trials, and at each trial you like label it uh, a few times, so it'd be about 100 labeled images. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's actually a pretty small amount. And the reason for that is, one, we're using um, transfer learning. So uh, our network architecture is based on YOLO, uh, an object detection model. And we initialize the weights with original YOLO weights. And we only learn the fast, the last few fully connected layers. Um, so transfer learning helps in these domains. And you can actually see that in a lot of these tasks, you don't need that much data. but I don't know if that really implies that you should always think that because we, we haven't really scaled up outside the lab. You know, these are tasks in the lab. They're kind of simplified. So yeah. I don't know if that's true, you know, uh, always. But it, it does seem like in the lab setting, you don't need that much data to apply these methods. Gotcha. What have been some challenges so far in this work? Uh, the challenges are definitely always working with the robot. It's always, you know, a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say some of the bigger challenges that it's really like, well, what's interesting about these methods, specifically like dagger and uh, behavior cloning is really the role of like theoretical analysis. So a lot of 
the, the nice thing about imitation line that drove me to it originally was there was a lot of like theoretical work on uh, imitation line, um, specifically from Carnegie Mellon's group. And the theory was really cool, but it's really asking the question like, what is the role of theory in these tasks? And also, what analyses do we actually want to have? Like, what guarantees are important? Because um, I think there's, there's a lot of theory now describing these methods, but it's not really clear if any of that's useful for practitioners. So I think that's a challenge is even figuring out like what should we be proving about these methods? What what guarantees we want for our robots to have um, when we apply learning? I think that that is a challenge because there was a lot of time where I would spend months working on theory and you would really step back and say like was this is this the right question to have for robotics? So I think working more like theoreticians and practitioners to understand like guarantees that would be appropriate maybe drawing more inspiration from Controls, like saying, well, we want to prove reachability or stability in these policies. That'd be really cool. Um, but yeah, I think another challenge is somehow bringing like robotic learning closer to, I would say, like the statistical community or the controls community. Right now, imitation learning is kind of it's it's pretty separate from these these deeper fields, and I feel like it, it's a it's a problem that needs to be like addressed by. A, a more classical field. Um, so those are just like high level challenges. But when you're doing robotics research, right, a lot of times we're, we're not really the first people to stab at the problem. So it's like, who's the who's the broader field who's thought about this? And I feel like with imitation, like, there needs to be more guidelines around that. Because um, sometimes you wonder, it's, a, it's such a fundamental problem, like sequential prediction. But there's really not a deeper literature, it seems like. Well, maybe there is, but... It's out there somewhere, and maybe collaboration yeah. would help. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been looking for a long time, but you just would think it's been thought about in some deeper way. So, I don't know, that that's kind of maybe one of the big challenges, or the mystery that I definitely want to solve before I graduate, is, like, who really has thought about it? The closest I've found is, like, persistent excitation and controls, uh, which is an old topic from like the 70s where people started seeing the control systems become unstable as they would roll out their data and they had some earlier proofs on uh, injecting noise to actually obtain stability so one way to achieve this sort of idea of a rich signal or persistent excitation of the system was injecting noise i think tying that literature to imitation learning could be could lead to some deeper results at the moment thank you yeah And that concludes today's interview. As always, you can find more information and all our past episodes on robohub.org forward slash podcast. And don't forget that you can now also support us on Patreon, where our latest fundraising goal is focused on covering the International Conference on Robotics and Automation, ECRA, due to be held in May. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Imitate with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.